0: All right, beloved, we are in Titus. We are in Titus this morning. If you're new with us, we are, uh, we just, what we do here is we basically work our way uh, verse by verse, section by section of a book of the Bible. And so we are presently, currently in the book called Titus. We are in chapter one. We have been for some time uh, looking at verses five through nine, five through nine. So I would invite you, if you're not already there, to turn in your copy of God's Word to that section. If you don't have a Bible, we have provided some blue Bibles located underneath the seats around you. They're there for you to use, so you can follow along. Make sure I'm not making anything up. And in that Bible, you can turn to page 998. That will bring you to our text this morning. Tim said that we are commanded to or really what our call is is to listen to the son listen to jesus how do you think we go about doing that huh through his word right his word has been delivered to us through his authorized representatives called apostles and so as we read titus written by the apostle paul we are hearing the word of jesus and so we need to listen to it. And listen doesn't just mean, I heard it. But listen means hear and obey. Hear and obey. Bring yourself under his word. Okay? And that's what we all need to do on a regular basis. And if we are not under it, we've gotten out of line, what are we to do? Repent. Get back in line. Okay? Get back in line. Bring yourself back under his word wonderful and precious word, a light in this dark world. We all need it so badly, so badly. All right, let me read the text, beloved. This is uh, part five, and it's not the final. We'll be at it again uh, next week, and I will not repeat anything. Well, for the most part, I will not repeat almost most of what I said. It doesn't even make sense. I will not repeat most of the things I said before today, so I would encourage you to, to go to our website, and there, uh, under our community, the tab there, you can, find, you can find our previous sermons. But let me read the entire text, and then we'll pick up where we left off. So beginning in verse 5. This is why I, that is, the Apostle Paul, left you, Titus, That's who he's writing the letter to in Crete, that little island in the Mediterranean, or large island, rather, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And then as we've been looking at, Paul now lays out the criteria that is to be used in choosing these elders, these leaders of the church or churches there on Crete. self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. There you go. There's the criteria. And we've been working our way through this gradually, these essential qualifications, these absolute must-haves, For the elders of the church, or the men who have the weighty responsibility of spiritually leading and caring for the precious people of God that make up a local church that those men are a part of. And as I have pointed out before, since the criteria Paul lays out in this section of Titus is essentially... The description of a mature Christian, uh, not a perfect Christian, not a uh, superhero Christian, because they don't exist, but a mature, healthy, godly Christian, or to say it another way, one who has made some good progress in Christ's likeness by the work of the Spirit and the Word in his life or her life, then. That being the case, one could rightly say the entire church, if that's what we're basically seeing here, maturity, Christian maturity laid out for us, for the men that were to lead God's church, this is what they must be, it could be rightly said that the entire church then should aspire or seek to be, in any way that they are not already, what the elders or shepherds or pastors of the church have to be. Okay, which is what we have been slowly covering in this passage. Okay, so the hope, beloved, is that that we would strive to be a body of mature believers—a body, not just a few, but the entire body—because uh, it's needful. It's needful for the glory of God. It's needful for the health of the church. There's so much brokenness. There's so much brokenness. Even in this little community, brokenness. And that brokenness needs to be ministered to. Who's going to do it? Just the four, well, the five guys here?
1: Just me? God forbid. You'll kill me. You'll kill me. So I have other
0: men Other men here that are qualified elder shepherds, right? That we have examined, that are tasked with the responsibility of caring for your souls. But it shouldn't just be them. It shouldn't just be them. So we should all be striving towards maturity so that we would be in a place to help our poor brothers and sisters when they're broken. When they need us. You need to be in that place. And then, when there's a time in your life when you're broken, another mature brother or sister can come along and help you and lift you up. That's the goal. So that's why I've been spending so much time pressing down on these, that we would all strive, take a look at this and examine our own lives and see, do I measure up? And if I don't, do something about it by the
1: grace of God and the power of his spirit, do something about it. For your own sake and for the sake
0: of those sitting right around you and for that matter, for the sake of your neighborhoods and your families and your coworkers who are broken too. Huh? Who's going to help them? If we all just constantly all remain in a state of brokenness, then who's going to help the other broken people. So we strive for maturity in Christ
1: so that we might be a good tool in God's hands to help. So, picking up where we left off last time. Titus 1 seven. He must not be, this is a slide,
0: brother, he must not be, it's going to, that was perfect timing, my friend,
1: he must not be, this is where we left off, a drunkard. The man who will be chosen
0: or is chosen for the position of shepherd, pastor, elder, overseer of God's people must
1: not be a drunkard. But as I said, this is a picture of maturity in Christ. And when you think about drunkard, don't think of town drunk, okay?
0: Like, wouldn't that be obvious? Like, hey, don't pick the town drunk. That's not, what, that's not the idea here of the word drunkard. Who in their right mind would select that person to care for other people, right? So what, what is it, though? What is it that Paul's saying? Well, other translations translate it not addicted to wine. Not addicted to wine. That's a more literal translation. I actually prefer the translation found in the NIV 84, It translates it this way. It's just a little different, but I think the nuance is important. Nope. Okay. That slide's not popping up, so you just have to imagine it in your minds. Not given to drunkenness. Not given to drunkenness. That's how the NIV 84 translates it. Not given to drunkenness. The man cannot be given to drunkenness. Now, to be given to something means you have a tendency of doing that thing. Or are inclined to it, or are likely to do it. So we could say that the drunkard, then, in this, as we picture him in this text, has an unhealthy, unhealthy, and I would add, very dangerous and destructive relationship with alcohol. They not only drink alcohol regularly, but also regularly drink alcohol until they become drunk. They do not, as I understand it, and I'm trying to explain it to you, to press down a little bit, they do not exercise self-control or proper moderation when it comes to the matter of alcohol. They do not say no or that is enough. They do not. The undisciplined drinker gives alcohol a place in their lives that alcohol
1: should never have the place of control. And alcohol,
0: beloved, is not a master. That anyone in
1: their right mind would want to serve. But, beloved, as I've said before, sin makes us stupid. Stupid. When we give in to it, it leads us into
0: becoming fools who, in their right mind, would allow alcohol
1: to be their master. And yet that is exactly what the drunkard has done. So, beloved, an
0: elder in God's church cannot be a drunkard or given to drunkenness. And that clearly makes sense, right? When you, when you consider the serious responsibilities
1: of an elder... If I'm all jacked up on booze, how am I going to help you? I got my own problems going on. I'm not thinking right. I'm not speaking right. I'm not in a place where I can help you. So it makes sense, yeah? I
0: mean, certainly, even if you were saying, hey... I mean, something as simple, not even watching the kids, if you were going to hire someone or ask someone to come watch your house while you were out on vacation,
1: would you ask a drunkard? Would you? Because you know that you're not
0: sure if you're going to come back to the house the same way you left it if you leave it in the hands of a drunkard. Right? Well, this is the church of God. There's nothing more precious, beloved. Nothing. So, it makes sense. But does that mean it's okay for others in the church to be drunkards? Or given drunkenness? Huh? I mean, what is this? Like, oh yeah, well, yeah, of course, you know, they're the elders. They've got a higher calling, you know, to this thing. So, yeah, of course. they gotta, they got to watch their P's and Q's, man. They better not be getting drunk. But, you know, I mean, we're just the body of Christ, so, you know, I mean, I don't know if that... Are you kidding me? Of course it applies to you. This is a picture of godliness. To the entire church, Paul wrote in Ephesians 5.18,
1: And do not get drunk with wine. For what is that? good times and i just want to make sure you don't have any good
0: times that's why i'm telling you this because i'm the apostle paul and and my middle name is ogre and and i just like to take the fun away from everyone so do not get drunk with wine i'm looking to make your life as miserable as possible because that's what being a christian's really all about so do not get drunk with wine Okay, I'm, I'm obviously taking some liberties and using sarcasm to try to make a point, but what
1: does it say? For that is debauchery! Do you know what debauchery is? Well, you, you probably do because we covered it, because um, el-
0: man's, uh, the elder of the man's, oh my goodness, the elder's children are not to be accused of debauchery, but. It basically means wild, reckless, irresponsible, or disorderly living. That's what how you can describe the one who gets drunk. Wild, reckless, irresponsible, or disorderly living. Certainly not mature, certainly not godly. And he goes on, he says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, beloved, if Christians weren't tempted to do this and weren't actually sometimes doing this, then why would Paul bother to address it at all? He needs to address it. In that culture, just
1: like ours, alcohol was very much a part of the culture. Christian, based on this text... Christian, along with
0: your shepherds, you must not allow yourself to be controlled by alcohol, which is what happens when you get drunk. Getting drunk dishonors God. But rather, Christian, you are to make it your ambition, according to the text, to be continually filled with, controlled by, yielded to, the Holy Spirit. And you do that as you... Come under the word and obey it and follow it. For the Spirit has authored it and has it empowered you to believe it and submit to it. You yield yourself to the Spirit by listening to the word. Do you want to honor and please God with your life? I guess that's the a, a question. Do you want to honor
1: and please God with your life, and and if you don't, I fear for you. I fear for you. I
0: I hope every single one of you would say, yes, that is, I do. I want to honor and please God with my life. Well then, you need to yield control of your life
1: to God. You should have no other master's but him, no other. To Gentiles who were pagan,
0: but had repented of their sinfulness and their unbelief, and then trusted in Christ, to them, Peter wrote this
1: in 1 Peter 4 3 through 4. You have spent enough
0: time in the past doing what ungodly people choose to do. What is that, Peter? What is it that ungodly people choose to do? You lived a wild life. You longed for evil things. You got
1: drunk. You went to wild parties. Ungodly people think
0: that it's strange when you no longer join them in what they do because that's what you did. They want you to rush into the same flood of wasteful living. That's how the NIRV translates that Greek word, wasteful living, but it's the same Greek word translated debauchery. Wasteful living. I find it interesting that one of the world's phrases concerning alcohol
1: is, let's get wasted. Let's get wasted? Yeah, let's give ourselves to wasteful living. Let's give ourselves to debauchery, to recklessness, to dishonoring God. Let's get wasted. That is the way of the fallen world, beloved, right? That is not to be our way. That is not to be our way. Hello? That is not, that is not to be our way. That's the way of the fallen world. They are those who are without hope. I
0: on one level understand why people pursue drunkenness who are without hope. They're broken. And they're, in some cases, just trying to suppress the brokenness for a few hours here and a few hours there. Of course, what they don't know is probably is that in suppressing the brokenness, they're only adding more to their brokenness. Because they're giving themselves to something that can destroy them, hurt them, ruin them. Will not fix them. Just
1: suppress the pain for a little longer. For a while. But we are not without hope. We are not without hope. So in our brokenness, in our hurt, Where are we to turn? To alcohol? No. We turn to Christ. We turn to the gospel. At least that's what, when we're thinking rightly,
0: that's what we are to do. We are not to act as the world acts. They are without hope. Beloved, they're still enslaved to their sinful desires. So, on one level, it makes sense to me. They're enslaved to their sinful desires. They haven't been set free.
1: And they are led about by the devil. Beloved, those still trapped in their sin are led about by the devil.
0: Should you... Act as someone who is led about by the devil? Should you act in the same way? They are led about by the devil, who, by the way, is the archenemy of God
1: and humanity. He's seeking to destroy. He's seeking to ruin. To wipe out families. To destroy homes. To ruin neighborhoods. To see people die. He delights in these things. To the Christians in Rome, Paul wrote. He wrote this in Romans 13. Besides this, Rome, major city. Along with cities comes all kinds of
0: stuff. But certainly, alcohol is widely available and part of the reality, certainly, of a a lost world to the degree that this abuse of alcohol, they're using it, they have access to it. He says this, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believe. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us. Cast off the works of darkness. Yeah? Works of what? Darkness. And put on the armor of light. What might be the works of darkness? Paul, let us walk properly as in the daytime.
1: Not in orgies. Those were wild parties. That included alcohol. Let us not walk in orgies and what? Drunkenness. Those,
0: that is works of darkness. Not in sexual immorality and sensuality. I find it interesting. We, you know, as a church, and I'm not just saying locally just summit, but just generally, Christians get crazy worked up about immoral sexuality, and rightfully so
1: but they seem to be a little more tolerant on the
0: drunkenness issue. And yet, they're there right next to each other, beloved, all under the umbrella of works of darkness. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. It's sinful desires. Make no provision for your fallen flesh, which ah, we still got! We still got this thing! Right? You still got it! Which is why the struggle. Which is why the temptations. Which is why
1: even failures. Which is why we still sin. But make no provision for
0: it. It looks to do you harm. It looks to take you down. And the devil, who's been at it for a while, knows just how to get in there and do his demonic work, his devilish work. He knows our weaknesses better than we know our weaknesses. So these are warnings. These are warnings of love. These are commands unto holiness because God cares for us and doesn't want to see us ruined and destroyed. Well, this fallen world, listen, they, they celebrate, encourage, and contribute to the drunkenness
1: of humanity. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Which, by the way, what I'm trying to do is, if you
0: don't already see it this way, I'm trying to help you see drunkenness biblically. Right? Because that's the problem with all of us. We have swallowed the junk of the world, and then we need to have our minds renewed by the word of God, washed clean, so that we think rightly. Because if we don't think rightly, we certainly won't act rightly or in a way that honors God. So we need to think rightly. And it's just a process for all of us. Because even if I'm thinking rightly today, Well, if I'm not careful, if I'm not paying attention, come Wednesday, those old bad thoughts might come pouring back in and all of a sudden I find myself not thinking rightly again. So it's just a constant, come on now, come on. Don't allow those thoughts in, push them out, repent of them, call them what they are, they're evil, they're wrong, they're against God, they are of the world, and fill your mind with the words of God and think biblically, right? All right. So I mean, honestly, that's what the Christian life is. Where am I? I have no idea. Oh, so we, I said, I asked you, I said, hey, does the fallen world encourage this stuff? Do they contribute to it? Do they even celebrate it? And you said yes, and, you, and I said yes, and we are right. We are right, right? Yeah? Yeah? And honestly, it's just really another form of rebellion against the creator. That's that's what it is. It's just another form of rebellion. You know, God says don't do this. Oh, yeah,
1: we're going to do it. We're not only going to do it, we're going to call it good. We're going to encourage you towards it. Now, I'm not sure if all that goes on in the rebel's mind, but it
0: is rebellion. It goes on in Satan's mind for sure. It's rebellion. It's rebellion. You're drinking, and then you get drunk.
1: You're in rebellion to God. You're not in rebellion to me. Who am I? I'm nobody. You're in rebellion to God. Does that concern you? I hope so. My goodness, I hope so. If it doesn't concern you, then you're, I would think probably not. You
0: don't have the Spirit of God living in you. You're not born again. You don't know Jesus Christ. If it doesn't
1: concern you at all. And, you, and that's terrifying. And you need Jesus. You need Jesus. Beloved, we live in this
0: fallen world, right? We live here. I'd love to get out. And that, don't worry, I'm not saying anything weird. I only say that because of, you know, things that have happened to pastors and stuff. I'm not saying anything weird. I'm not going to bail. God will take me when he's ready. I just wish he was ready. (laughs) Many times, I do. I just do. I do, I'm just... (sighs) I heard a comedian last night... um, yeah, I go and see comedians. Uh, he's a Christian comedian, but uh, he was just talking about Lazarus, and uh, he said he could never, his, his father's a pastor, and, but he said he could never be a pastor because he would translate the, uh, he, would, he would just bring a different story to the Bible. He was trying to be funny, but he was just talking about Lazarus. He said Lazarus and Jesus used to be good friends. They were best friends. And then Jesus brought him back out of heaven. And he says, you'll notice you never find anything else in the scriptures about Jesus and Lazarus. I wonder why. <laughs> he's like, four days, you know, Lazarus. like You know, he just goes on. He's like straightening out everything and he's getting all ready. And he's like, "Uh, you got to go back. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, that would be terrible. But we, li- we live in this fallen world, right? We live in a fallen world. And then we- we're battling with our own
1: flesh. But we are not without hope nor- or strength.
0: We have Christ. We have the Spirit of God.
1: We have the Word of God. We have the church. We have our brothers and sisters in Christ. We live in this world, but we are not to take part in it in the sense that,
0: in the evil desires of it that are promoted and celebrated. We are not to take part. When I went through 1 John, I, we covered this passage. I thought I would remind you of it. John writes to the Christians, he writes this. And so if he's writing this, it means it is a a possibility for us. It's a temptation for us. Living in this world and fighting our fallen flesh, he writes this in 1 John two fifteen through 17, do not love the world. He's talking about the fallen world. He's not talking about enjoying a sunset. He's talking about the fallen world in its fallenness in that state. Do not love the world or the things of the world, those things, those wicked things, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and then he lists three things, and the first one is the desires of the flesh. Another way to say that is the cravings of sinful man. Or, one person puts it this way, any and every desire of man in his rebellion against God. Don't crave those things, child of God. Those things are craved by those who are living in rebellion against God and have not been rescued yet, who have not bowed their knee to the Lord Jesus. What are you doing? Don't do that. Don't do that. He goes on, and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, all these things are not from the Father, but they're from the world. And listen, the world is passing away along with its evil desires. They are going to come to an end. What are you doing? But whoever does the will of God, whoever does the will of God,
1: abides forever. Whoever does the will of God, abides forever. One writer commenting on that said, John,
0: the apostle John here who wrote this, John is not calling when he says, do not love the world or the things of the world. He's not calling for a monastic separation. In other words, become a recluse, hide yourself away in some cave somewhere, that's how you escape. He's not calling for that, that separation from the world, but rather for an inner attitude, listen, of separation from the sinful world and its practices. As those loyal to God, John's readers are to be on guard against a permissive or kindly feeling towards the world's evil,
1: and are not to establish intimate relationships of loyalty with it. Don't, dear child of God, allow yourself to grow fond
0: of or lenient or accepting of what God says is wrong, evil, sinful. Don't allow yourself to get there. And if you are there,
1: what are you to do now? Eh. Repent. Repent. If, or I should say when, We are not careful and diligent. Worldliness will creep into our lives. And we will not be better for it. And
0: our gospel witness to one degree or another will be diminished or for that matter, destroyed. And what Is it that we've been called to do as disciples of Christ? What have we been studying in our growth groups? What is the mandate that our master and Lord left us?
1: What is it? To make disciples. You're going to have a really difficult time doing that if you are engaged in drunkenness. So, beloved, how do you
0: feel about drunkenness? How do you feel about it? Do you feel permissive or kindly towards it? Do you feel permissive or kindly towards it? You shouldn't, Christian. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. It is another evil in God's eyes, and so it should be in ours as well. And, and, and I'm pressing hard, and maybe for you too hard. I don't know, but I don't think so. Being a pastor and watching all the destruction take place? No, I don't think so. I'm pressing hard because I don't think people treat it like they should. I'm like, yeah. Eh. I mean, come on. You're making that's a why are you making such a big deal? I don't know, because God makes a big deal out of it? I don't know. Does that matter? Because it really is a big deal? Because if you've lived in that situation or had to deal with those that are close to you who are drunkards, then maybe you would know, understand more carefully.
1: It should not be portrayed, drunkenness, by the believer as being good,
0: fun, or no big deal. Any more than sexual immorality would be, should be portrayed that way. Can you imagine? I mean... And I'm saying this because, not because I'm even thinking of anybody in this congregation, at least not right now, but just in general, just being a pastor and, you know, over the years, an elder in the church before and just ministering to people. And, you know, Christians, uh, unfortunately, do this. They give themselves to this. And, uh, and, Yeah, but they would never, you wouldn't expect them to, you know, again, they may stand really strong against, well, sexual immorality, that's wrong. Sex out of marriage, that's wrong. Homosexuality, that's wrong. Yes, and yes, and yes, and yes, and they're really strong on that. But over here, like drunkenness, eh, all right, so I had one too many. Yeah, I got wasted. I mean, come on, I had a hard week. You don't understand my situation no, it's not even about me, then what you have to say is God doesn't understand your situation. I guess, I guess he's really dumb, you know? He just doesn't get it. He doesn't understand how hard your life is, and that's that's why he says avoid drunkenness. If he really got it, then he would certainly not do that, because you just need a break once in a while. See how ridiculous that sounds when you really think about it? God is dumb? Oh, my goodness. He just doesn't understand me? Are you serious? Of course
1: he does. Not only does he understand you, but more importantly, he loves you. (laughs) One writer says the misery and heartbreak that alcoholism
0: has caused multitudes of families is beyond imagination. He goes on to say alcoholism reduces life expectancy, breaks up families, and destroys people financially. And we could just go on and on. And, beloved, we know that to be the case because, you know, or we can certainly uh, understand it because sinfulness escalates when people get drunk, right? I mean, look, you shouldn't be a glutton either. No, the Bible speaks to that. Like you have no self-control concerning food, okay? And sometimes it's the same thing. Food can make you happy. I mean, it brings, like, joy. And so people that are struggling and they're broke, I'm, look, am I crazy? I'm not crazy. You know, some of you are like, where's he going with this? I'm scared. Don't be scared. <laughs> Don't be. But food, you know, we call it comfort foods, but even just food, sugar, chocolate, my goodness, it brings happiness. Okay. But then what happens is, is that people turn to that during their broken times. Because guess what? Life is hard. Okay. It's hard, man. It's hard. And so... They find something to try to deal with their pain, and then it takes over, and they give themselves to it, and they're, they're out of control. And so someone who eats a lot will have issues, okay, right? They'll have issues, health issues and such, and all kinds of other things that go along with that, certainly. But when it's out of control, there's no control. But alcohol is like a different animal right? I don't see anybody like, you know, they eat a bunch of potato chips and then they drive their car and kill someone. So I'm not saying, I'm not saying one is not a problem. It is a problem, but, but can we just be honest here? When people give themselves to drunkenness, it opens the door, and this is what Satan loves, to a whole variety
1: of damage and destruction, And I would say this as well, sinfulness
0: is not not just not doing what uh, God says don't do that, but sinfulness is also not doing what God has called us to. So a drunkard is not in really any condition to love neighbor as himself or love spouse. Not biblically. He's not. She's not. They're not. They're not in a condition or state to be a witness of any sort, or at least not a good one. They're not in a condition or state to work unto the Lord diligently if they're drunk. Huh? Right? So it opens the door to all, it's not just, hey, well, I didn't kill anybody. You know, I, listen, I'm responsible. I got someone to drive me home. Okay, <laughs> well, good. I'm glad you worked that out before you got drunk, but there are whole kinds of other things that were probably sinful as well that came out of that drunkenness, or will. If not that night, maybe another night or another day. And um, yeah, we're not going to move past drunkenness. You know that. We're almost out of time because I, it's such a huge deal, okay? But listen, I, I'm a little nervous about doing this because it's uh, of a political nature, so I'm going to do it anyway because you know how I am. I just, I don't care really if you, <laughs> I don't, I don't. So Brett Kavanaugh, okay? I don't know, look. listen, I just, this is all I'm going to say. I'm not going to say
1: anything. If you want to ask me later what I feel, that's fine. Um, don't let your emotions get, I'm just using it as an illustration. So however, whatever side you're on, Don't let it play into
0: it, okay? This is what the problem is. People get all emotionally charged, and then we can't have a conversation about anything. My goodness. It is a problem. It's in our country, in our culture. It's a problem. Couples can't even, they're all emotionally charged. They can't talk to each other. It's just, all right. Brett Kavanaugh was accused of being a heavy drinker. I mean, there were other, obviously the big thing was, you know what. So I don't want to talk, you know what it is. If you don't, then I don't know where you've been hiding under a rock, but... And if you don't just, I don't know, Google it or something, no, don't do that. Uh, But he was accused of being a heavy drinker, even a drunkard. And then, you know, he said, "Eh, you know, I mean, yeah, we had beer. And I just found the whole thing fascinating because they're in high school when this is going on. Of course, buddy, it went on into college and stuff. Okay, but even in high school, I'm like, Whoa. So, yeah, yeah, you know, we were young and stupid, and, um, and I'm not, I'm embar- I'm embarrassed about whatever, but I wasn't a heavy drinker, I wasn't a drunkard. But there was accusations concerning that. Um, and then there was a push to try to work towards that, and I, and, and, you know, or expose that more. And they're like, what is the big deal? So what? He drank. The big deal was, in, at least in my mind, is um, if they could demonstrate that he was a heavy drinker, a drunkard, a stumbling drunk, as... Some said, again, they're accusations, unproven, but accusations. I'm just saying, just OK, but if they could prove that, what would that why do you think that was important? Because when people are drunk, they do really bad and stupid things. And in fact, and in fact, drunkenness often leads to memory blackouts. Not just, we talk about blackouts like falling down drunk. No, no, that's true. It can get there too, because that's your body's way of trying to save you. Do you know that? Your body's trying to save you, make you stop drinking alcohol. That's why you pass out. But there's also these blackouts where you just don't remember portions of, a, of, the, of the night or the day, whenever it was you were drinking heavily. And so I would imagine if they could get there, it was, again, it was a cloud over him, right? So, I say all that to say, listen, if the man didn't drink, especially in high school or college, if he had no, if he, if, in other words, he admitted he was a drinker. Now the question is, is he a heavy drinker? And there were some thoughts that he was, but if he didn't drink at all, that whole cloud would have been removed immediately. Just a thought. If he, if he didn't drink at all, then he'd be like, what are you talking about? I don't even drink alcohol. And in fact, he wouldn't be at drinking parties either
1: if he didn't drink at all. Where are you going with this, Jeremy? What are you trying to say? I'm just saying things. I'm saying
0: things to make, <laughs> not just anything. It's intentional. I'm saying things to make you think a little bit. It that cloud was over him because he was a drinker, and maybe a heavy drinker. And if he was, then then there's thinking that you know. But either way, a man is innocent until proven guilty. That's all I will say on that. So beloved. If drunkenness is wrong, dangerous, sinful, dishonoring to God, and it is all those things, and you can't get drunk without first drinking alcohol, I don't know if you know that, but I want to tell you that. You can't get drunk without first drinking alcohol. Then wouldn't it be better off, I'm asking a question, wouldn't it be better off, some might ask, to abstain from alcohol altogether? Okay, I wasn't looking for an answer. (laughs) I was just asking
1: the question so that I could try to answer it. So I would say this. Some say yes. Others say
0: no, not exactly. Who is right? Who is right? Well... I think that we, like in so many things, need balance. We need balance in our lives, biblical balance. We seem to it just, it's like we go to one side or the other, one ditch or the other. Ah, no drinking ever. Ah, it's okay. It doesn't really matter. What are you talking about? Balance. So, in the matter of alcohol, one must have godly wisdom, they must let God dictate the parameters of alcohol. And our association with it. They must exercise self control, which you'll notice is one of the things that an elder must have self control, which is what a Christian is expected to have, which, by the way, is a fruit of the Holy Spirit self control. And, and they must operate, the Christian, in the matter of alcohol, and in every matter, they must operate out of love.
1: Love for God, love for brother and sister in Christ. Love for the lost. Paul
0: says here, it he says that he, the man, may not be a drunkard or not given to drunkenness. This is not a prohibition against drinking alcohol. It is not. But it is a prohibition against the abuse of alcohol. It is. Now, if you don't know, I am of the mind, biblically of the mind. That alcohol is not evil in and of itself. It is not evil in and of itself. But like many other things, it is a gift from God. What? Yeah, it is. It's a gift from God. And if you were here for Thomas's message when he took us through the Proverbs, then, you know, whether you agreed with that or not, whatever, but that's the biblical position I take. You read in Psalms, the psalmist says this. It's just one, just one passage. Speaking to God, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man.
1: That's interesting.
0: Oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. Wine. Wine alcohol. A gift for a harsh world. So again, gladden the heart of man. Not, we're not talking about drunkenness, but I don't know, a calming, uh, a pleasantry, an enjoyment of a glass of wine, of a, a beer, gladdens the heart of man. It is a gift of God. Boy, I got really weird in here. (laughs) But that doesn't mean we should all partake of it. Or that if and when we do, we shouldn't do so with caution. This is where I think Christians go off the rails. In light of our fallen flesh, hello, our weaknesses, hello, hello, and the great enemy who is always looking for a way to mess up and ruin our lives, we need to be very cautious. And in
1: some cases, maybe we shouldn't partake at all. I liken it to uh,
0: physical relations between a man and a woman in the union of marriage. Okay, I liken it to that. That, I'm trying not to use certain words, but the physical relation, that relationship, that is a good gift from God. No amens and nothing. And I know I'm over. It's all right. It It is a good gift from, guys, it is a good gift from God. Come on. But when abused... When done so outside of the parameters that God has set for his good gift, it is
1: sin, it is evil, it is destructive, it will ruin you. And even with that, you need to be cautious and careful because passions
0: are involved and you could find yourself wanting to do things that are outside of God's will concerning that. So you need to be cautious, but I'm not abstaining. But you may need to abstain if you're not in the situation where you can express and enjoy that good gift from God, which would be marriage to the opposite gender, born that way. (laughs) can't believe all the stuff I have to say. (laughs) Abuse of alcohol is the problem, beloved, not alcohol itself. But the world's idea of abusing alcohol is, think about it, and I think we've adopted it And I say we, it's collectively, it's just Christians and it's sad and distressing and you got to repent. We all do. If we ever get to this place, they think like the world thinks, you know, abusing alcohol, that's when you drink to the point of intoxication and then you drive your car. That's abuse of alcohol. So when you see the word drink responsibly, like they put, I was telling my kids, I saw on the side of a truck going up mountain after dropping off my wife at work, a fireball truck, and if you have any idea what that, okay, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. It's, it's cinnamon whiskey. It is designed to fool you into drunkenness. But most people are not fooled. They're doing it to get drunk. Cinnamon whiskey, fireball. There's some guy that sings about it too, so maybe you know about that if you listen to Pop. Anyway. On the side of the truck, you know what it said? Drink responsibly. That's not even possible. What are you talking about? What they mean is you're gonna get, most likely, drunkenness is gonna follow. Most likely, most likely. Drink responsibly just means what I said. Don't drink until you're dead, and don't drink and drive. And you're a good person if you go and get wasted on a Friday night, but make sure you Uber home. You're a good person. Not according to God. You are rebelling
1: against him because he never gave you alcohol so that you could get wasted. Christians are, of course, free to abstain from alcohol. I'm almost done. They are free to abstain from
0: alcohol. They are free to abstain from alcohol. They're also free to drink it according to God's word. But they are free to abstain. And there are various reasons that a a Christian might abstain. They listen, here's how you exercise self-control. If you find that anytime you drink, you find yourself drinking too much, you know how you exercise self-control? You don't start drinking. That's how you exercise self-control for you. That's responsible. That is godly. You don't drink. And so I would anticipate that alcoholics who have had a trouble, they shouldn't be drinking at all. That's where they start because they know once they start, it's over. They're right back in the mess. There are other reasons Christians abstain from drinking. You know what? They realize the dangers associated with it, and they would just prefer not to have to deal with all that. So they say no. And they are free to do that, and we should honor them in that. They say, we're just not going to drink. Hey, look, I'm not going to drink. I don't even want to deal with that issue. Okay, it's a good gift from God. It's one I'm going to choose not to exercise or partake in. And they're free to do that. And so what I find with drinkers is often they want to push drinking on everyone else. That's, ro- that's not love.
1: That's not love. The Bible does not command us to drink alcohol, so we are free to not drink, okay?
0: But it does command us to love God and love one another, And so if alcohol is getting or going to get in the way of that, then you should abstain from alcohol. Period. These are simple things. Christians are at liberty to partake, but not any way they want. God's word on the matter is
1: to be our guide and rule. I am out of time. As, well, over. Things to consider. We live in the world, we are not to be of it, Love of God and
0: love of neighbor should supersede everything we do. Even in the matters of alcohol, we are free to abstain. Some should abstain. We are free to partake, but only as God has directed us and guided us. Anything outside of that is dangerous, is evil, is rebellion. And you are to have no part in it. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. And I just pray your your blessing upon your church and uh, upon our understanding and upon our thinking. Help us to think, to think biblically, Father, always. And help us to be quick uh, to change our minds when needed about our thinking. Help us not to be stubborn headed. Help us align ourselves with your word. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Beloved, that is the conclusion of our service. And